0: Lauren. Mike. Lauren, when you eventually quit Twitter, are you going to take all of your talents to Snap?
1: Oh, this is a loaded question because <laughs> you're making the assumption that I'm quitting Twitter, but then you're asking about Snap. Hmm. I would say Snap might not be my first platform of choice, but it's not a bad option after Twitter.
0: Do you feel as though your particular gifts at social media engagement don't translate to the platform?
1: I'm generally a little bit more pithy and clever with words than i am at like bunny ears (laughs) what about you are you going to quit twitter and and bring your talents to snap
0: uh i don't think so
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right all right that's it that's today's show
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired.
1: And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired.
0: Today, we are talking about the biggest social media story of the week, the thing that everyone online is talking about, which is Snap, the company formerly known as Snapchat. You probably thought I was going to say Twitter. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, the Twitter board and Elon Musk did reach an agreement this week for Musk to buy Twitter and take the company private. It's huge news in the Web 2.0 world and potentially marks the end of one era and the beginning of another. We talked about Twitter on last week's show, and we do have plans to talk about it again next week, with a very special guest coming on the show, by the way. But there was also news out of Snap this week, and it's important to note that the company's main app, Snapchat, is actually bigger than Twitter. Snap also makes funky hardware. And Lauren, you had the chance to talk to the company's hardware folks and get some early looks at the latest Snap gadgetry this week. So please tell us, what did the Snap kids dream up at Coachella this time?
1: <laughs> yes, I think they did come up with this at Coachella, like just a couple of weeks ago, and they just they really expedited the hardware process. And <laughs> here we here we are. Uh, okay, so this week was Snap's annual partner summit, which um, they hosted just one year down in Los Angeles, where Snap is based, and then the pandemic hit, so they've been hosting this virtually ever since. But it's their version of an app developers conference. It's where they typically make software announcements that are relevant to the people. who build apps, or as Snap calls them, lenses, for the Snapchat app and stuff like Snap's AR glasses. But sometimes, amongst all of the software announcements, there's a hardware nugget in there as well. And this year, it's a flying camera. Get out. Uh, Yes. Also known (laughs) as a drone. Don't call it a drone, et cetera, et cetera. It's called Pixy. That's spelled P-I-X-Y. And it's this small yellow plastic pancake or maybe a waffle I'll call it a waffle because I like waffles that rests on the palm of your hand and it takes flight to take a photo or a video of you and your friends isn't this the thing you've always wanted Mike
0: (laughs) I can only imagine so it's 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 a snapchat drone so it flies around and takes a picture of you does it just like fly up take a picture and then fly back down does it land on your hand
1: yeah, it takes these very short flights. I haven't personally used it yet. The briefing that I got, all the briefings that I got were, were virtual. Um, so I don't know exactly how it works, but I've seen videos of it. So there are four modes that you can use. First, you wirelessly pair this Pixie drone to your Snap mobile app. Then you press a button on the drone to turn the drone on. And then there's this silver dial on the top that you can turn to one of the modes. And so like, for example, um, it can zoom out from you and then take a photo of you and your friends and zoom back towards you, or it can orbit around you. Those are just two out of the four modes. And then you hold out your hand with your palm open and supposedly it lands in the palm of your hand. Um, It captures 12 megapixel photos. So pretty standard still photo capture. The video is a little bit low res. It's 2.7K resolution. So these are this is not um, super high def or 4K mm. video. And then those media assets get wirelessly sent to the Snap apps. Then you have to go into the Snap app to like interact with them or use them. And then you can save them to your camera roll if you want to share them elsewhere, but the whole idea is it's bringing you back to the Snap app.
0: I see. How much does it cost?
1: There are going to be two options. There's a base pack that starts at $230. And then there's a, a bundled pack that costs 250 which comes, like, I think, with like some more accessories. And then there are additional batteries that are available for uh, 20 bucks. And you probably would want to buy some of the additional batteries because when you're measuring the battery life on a product like this, it's so variable. Um, it's not just like a phone. Of course, phones are very variable as well when it comes to battery life, depending on how people use them. But with this, it's being measured in flight bursts. Like Snap is saying it can take five to eight flights per charge, but a lot of that is going to depend on how long each flight is and also the movement that you are programming it to do. So something that requires like a big burst of energy, such as zooming out from you and zooming back might actually suck up more power um, than some of the other modes. So it's all going to depend on how you use it, but you getting five uses out of it per charge, it's really not much. And like by uses, I don't mean like it's following you around for a half hour. I mean, it just like zooms out, takes a photo, and zooms back.
0: That's actually a good point, because one of the great advancements in drone technology over the last few years has been all of the flight automation features, right? The ability for the camera to see you and follow you, or the ability for the camera to fly around your head without banging into a wall, and to keep you centered in the frame. Does it have any of that stuff going on?
1: I don't think it's quite that advanced yet. And I know exactly what you're talking about, because I've seen some friends who are... Um, skiers, like much more accomplished skiers than I am. I'm thinking of my friend Viren in particular, where like I see some of the footage that he posts later on Instagram and clearly it was shot with a drone and the drone is like following him down a ski slope. And it's really, really cool. Um, and I think we've reviewed Skydio's drones and one of that the primary features of that drone is that it does that, right? It's It's designed to actually follow you and track yeah. you yeah, for an extended period feature. of time. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's pretty cool stuff. Um, And those, I think the drones we're describing too, are a little bit more expensive and just high powered in general. I don't think this is designed for that. I think this is really designed for these little bursts of activity, these short interactions and very much like social features. Like you're with a group of friends, you're at Coachella, (laughs) I'm just going to assume. And um, and the thing like, you're like, let's take a selfie, but there are 20 of us and no one has uh, a six foot arm and so let's, uh, let's send this thing off into the sky and I'll take this great photo of us and send it right back. Um, that, and then also I could imagine some creators, quote unquote creators, video producers, influencers, that kind of thing, using this to get maybe an additional angle on something that they're shooting with another device.
0: So it seems like, you know, this is something that pretty much only like Snapchat devotees are going to be buying because for $230, if you're looking to get a drone that can take your picture, there are other options. If you spend just a little bit more money, something, you know, more high powered, something can stay aloft more than, you know, three or four minutes. But it's kind of interesting to me to think that like, this is obviously an experiment. It's just something that's like strange and kind of fun and sort of fits in with the company's branding. The company has a history of doing this, right? Like making devices that are kind of impractical and kind of expensive, but also just fun and sort of fit into the Snapchat aesthetic.
1: Yeah, that I would say that's exactly right. I mean, let me ask you a question, Mike. Have you ever purchased any of Snap's hardware?
0: No, because the thing that they made in the past is the the glasses, the spectacles, mm-hmm. and right. uh, they don't necessarily fit me. I have a large head. So like they just look really small on me. And also I wear a prescription and um, I haven't bothered to put a prescription in snap spectacles. So I put them on and I'm basically just like walking around blindly shooting things. <laughs> uh, so no, I have not purchased any of their hardware. I have, I have seen it and held it and used it though.
1: Yeah. We had some, um, some of those spectacles floating around the office for a while too. I mean, I think you're right in that snaps history of hardware is that it is largely weird and experimental. They have this area of the company called snap labs where they develop some of this. And when you ask snap, like I had the chance to talk to co-founder and CTO Bobby Murphy earlier this week. They say that when they develop and design these products, they develop them with scale in mind. They want to reach as many people as possible. But even with that said, I think they do have a different approach with their hardware than they do with the software. I mean, just look at the spectacles, right? The first pair of those glasses were launched back in 2016. They were initially distributed only through this Snap branded pop-up vending machine called the SnapBot. I mean, eventually they became more widely available, but you could only get them if you like stumbled upon this vending machine in the middle of... Coachella. I'm just going to keep referring to Coachella, <laughs> but they were in like different places in LA. And I don't think there might have been one in like, do I remember one in like Joshua Tree? Anyway. Yeah, yeah they, they were, were all
0: over all over the coast. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not many of those sold, right? And they didn't have any augmented reality. They were really just capturing uh, videos and then eventually photos. Now, they did release another version of these spectacles back in 2018, which our colleague, Ariel Pardez, and I literally took on a roller coaster. We both wore a pair of these Snapchat spectacles version two and pressed, you know, record on our frames as we were going down um, a very, very steep roller coaster. So that was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> Um, And then last year in 2021, Snap did finally roll out AR glasses, uh, which to their credit came before any kind of Facebook or Apple AR glasses, but they're super clunky and they were only for app developers. They weren't for consumers and they too had a short battery life. So sometimes it just seems like Snap's end game with its hardware experiments are just, how can we get people deeper into Snap the app? How can we get people deeper into AR? It all comes back to their AR lenses and and like selling people on those. And then there's like a little bit of also And how can we beat Facebook to market, aka meta, so that Facebook can inevitably copy them?
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So all of these hardware experiments, they do we, we keep calling them experiments, and maybe that's you know a little bit derogatory, but at the same time, these are things that have been rather inaccessible, rather limited, and have not really stuck. You know, I can't remember ever seeing spectacles in the wild.
1: Right. And even the AR glasses, I think I've only seen them in the wild. Once and it was at an AR specific conference that I went to last November and <laughs> it was um, a developer who was wearing them and I was interviewing her on stage with Bobby Murphy from Snap so it was a very specific <laughs> <doesn't> scenario <laughs> in which I saw those AR glasses
0: It doesn't count that's like spotting Google Glass <laughs> at Google iO
1: <laughs> That's right it's like spotting like Google Glass at like Sergey's birthday party) <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Snap in the broader context of all the social media apps we use today. Let's talk about Snap's place in the social media landscape. We mentioned earlier that Snap is actually bigger than you probably imagine it is. It has more than 330 million active daily users. That makes it bigger than Twitter which has somewhere around 215 million. So, Lauren, please enlighten us. Who are these Snapchat users?
1: First of all, thank you for my promotion to a post-collegiate field reporter <laughs> <laughs> on all of the Snapchat users, including myself. Um, I think Snap users are probably my thirteen-year-old niece and all of her friends. Uh, but seriously, it's you know, users tend to be young or youngish. Uh, the thing about Snap users, though, is that they are also very. Active. They don't just fire off a tweet or two or like post an Instagram photo and move on. In some cases, Snap users are messaging all day long. I've seen different numbers on this. In some cases, it's an average of like 34 messages per day, in other cases, it's as many as 100. And um, they supposedly, quote unquote, interact with an average of, you know, collectively six billion AR lenses per day. Right. Which is Snap's special sauce. Like you apply this lens to your face and you send a photo of yourself. And this all happens really quickly. The app is really easy to use. And part of like the dark pattern or stickiness of the app is that people are encouraged to maintain these streaks, which just shows that like they've been keeping up their messaging and so their streak number gets like longer and longer. And the thing about the content on Snap 2 based on what I've observed is that it can be really unpolished it's less glossy and less curated than instagram in some ways it's more like tiktok Though tiktok actually has some really great productions on it that are just made to look raw but are actually very produced um a lot of people just use snap by like just firing off a really off the cuff photo of themselves and like blasting it out to a bunch of friends and messages and not really um yeah it just doesn't feel as like uh curated I guess is the right word as you might get from Instagram.
0: So what you're saying and I've also observed this is that it's primarily just a messaging app. Like we we often think of, you know, social media as posting and broadcasting, but I think Snapchat's real strength is the one-to-one relationship between its users. Because if you open up the app and you look at the only thing that's there other than one-to-one messaging, which is discovery, it's a lot of just sort of lowest common denominator junk. You know, it's a lot of like tabloid style stuff, stunts, uh, stupid human tricks, weird hacks, like beauty advice. It really reminds me of the types of things that you would see at like the bottom of a story on like a not very good blog, like that chum box where it's just sort of, you know, clickbait type stuff. Uh, there are publishers on there. I know the company recently allowed publishers to put their RSS feeds into Snapchat, so you can follow like the Washington Post, for example, and then basically just read one story a day from the Washington Post by tapping on a on a Snapchat. Uh, feed inside the app so it's like unless you follow a lot of people and follow creators there's not really a lot for you to engage with there so it seems like building a friend network and interacting with those friends that's their real strength which is funny when you consider that the things that they have done with that have been copied elsewhere right like they've come up with all these innovations uh the thing that they popularized at the beginning was ephemeral posts images Mm -hmm. that disappear after 24 hours yeah. That now is on all of the major platforms everywhere is stories. It's a huge part of Instagram, less so on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, but they're they're everywhere. That's like Snapchat DNA all over the internet.
1: Right. Well, I think you touched on two really important things. And the latter is that Facebook does have a history of, of copying Snapchat, borrowing from them quite <laughs> generously. And the other thing you touch on is I think what you're describing is discover. Is that stories? I'm like, I'm looking at the app right now as we're taping this pod. Or the spotlight tab.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, like discovery on the platform in general.
1: Oh, just discovering it. Yeah, I think they used to have this section of the app that was, I think, called discover. Mm -hmm. This is going back some years now where they had official partnerships with media brands and with really big stars. Like, I think the Kardashians may have been a part of it. And that just sort of didn't work for them, which I think brings up important questions about where their audience goes as their current audience matures. Like at some point, are they gonna be looking for things other than maybe, um, you know, beauty ASMR where people are popping pimples or- um,
0: (laughs) It's so bad. It's
1: really spammy. There's some celebrity related stuff. Like I see something about Miley Cyrus and a weird outfit and something about the Hemsworth brothers. Um, But then it's like, this is what happens when you stop wearing a bra and some dance videos that are somewhat, a little bit suggestive and then there's this weird video about like what happens when your tongue is really long um and a woman who's like making a hack out of her victoria's secret underwear and then there are a lot of ads too there's just like you know something a sneaker ad i'm seeing right now or a zipline ad um it just it feels very spammy the primary the most impressive oh my nephew just sent me a snap right now his he has put an ar filter of a a crow on his face. but but that I mean that's a more joyful experience for me right now just receiving that that DM from my nephew than um than yeah than going through the stories or discover
0: and of course you know you mentioned this briefly but the other thing we have to talk about is uh, the lenses right the AR filters which is the thing that uh, another thing that Snapchat popularized that again got picked up everywhere else but of course like no matter how often companies steal from Snap. Snap still makes a lot of money. They have those active users. Those active users, as you mentioned, are very active. And they've had a couple of rough quarters lately, but things are still pretty rosy for them, right? They're still continuing to grow, and they're still bringing in a lot of revenue. So they have all these innovations, and they have all these daily active users, and they are continuing to grow and make money. So how are they monetizing this?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's an important question because ultimately Snap is an advertising platform. They just reported first quarter earnings last week and um, it wasn't a great quarter for them. They reported that revenue fell short of expectations, which the CEO, Evan Spiegel, said was partly because of a pullback in advertising due to the war in Ukraine. So he kind of blamed it on macroeconomic factors. Um, interestingly, their daily active users still went up about 18%. Um, But revenue, the money they're making per active user also fell short of expectations. And like a lot of other social networks, Snap has said that Apple's changes on iOS, the Mm. changes that ATT, that limit ad tracking and targeting, has impacted them. So they keep getting these new users, but they, they still have to figure out how to continue to make more money off of each user.
0: So about that growth, I have kind of a sensitive question. Okay. Do people age out of Snapchat? Yeah.
1: (laughs) I would, I mean, I would think that that's got to be a real, a real concern for them. Yeah. Because, like we just said, like, I mean, we're a little bit older. We are millennial or post-millennial English majors, as we've established on this show before. (laughs) Um, But like we're going through it and we're looking at some of this content and just thinking this doesn't really appeal to us, right? And um, and so I am wondering what they're going to do. I think that's one of the things that Facebook has been tremendously effective at. Not necessarily building new products, but acquiring new products and anticipating where people are going to go next. So buying um, properties like Instagram and then WhatsApp. And then Oculus, right? Like they've got a lot of eggs in their basket. Um, And uh, Snap, you know, that like. (laughs) dancing hot dogs and crow filters and like bunny ears are awesome but um, but like I'm really curious to see what the next iteration of that technology is and by the way I think it's I think like I've seen glimpses of it like when I tested the AR glasses last year I saw some really cool use cases for lenses they're doing some really interesting stuff with points of interest in cities like London where you go and there's like a sort of geo tagged location specific experience um, where you hold up your phone and you see this really cool AR lens or you might be able to go to a concert in the future and like through a partnership with Live Nation, you hold up your phone at the concert and you see this really cool experience layered over the in-person concert. Like I could see where they're trying to make AR happen. But does that necessarily mean that like people much older than 34 or whatever that demographic is are going to be uh, hooked on Snap um, for years to come. I'm not really sure about that. I mean Mike, if you if you had to leave Twitter right now, if you did opt to leave Twitter, We already talked about how you're probably not going to migrate to Snap, but like what other social network would you opt to spend that time on?
0: I think honestly, I think it would be TikTok because like the thing, the thing that I keep coming back to with Snapchat is that there's not really a lot there for the passive user, right? Like TikTok is like TV. You turn it on and there is literally just something for everybody immediately within the first five minutes. You can find a bunch of things that you just want to watch over and over again, you know, I don't have that experience when I open the Snapchat app. And I don't know if that's just the quality of the content that is on offer as like a, a user who doesn't have a lot of activity on the app. I'm sure mm-hmm. if I used it more, it may show me things that are more interesting to me. But I have been using it and I'm still not seeing much. that's interesting. TikTok, on the other hand, you use it for 30 seconds and there's a bunch of stuff to look at. So
1: yeah, I like if I'm,
0: if I'm going to spend time like on my phone, just staring at it and scrolling, which I really should stop doing then I think that's probably the place that I would go but also I'm not gonna quit Twitter I've been toying with it for like last week oh I'm totally gonna quit Twitter but that's just I really just don't see that happening uh, what about you are you gonna are you gonna dump Twitter and go to snap
1: yeah I think I think what I would do is I would go to one of the social networks that's not owned by a billionaire
0: so mastodon
1: <laughs> right yeah if you let me know um, what some of those options are I'll get back to
0: you yeah really I I Don't know if there is one. I think maybe you could like (laughs) download WordPress and run your own blog or something.
1: (laughs) That's right. Back to RSS.
0: (laughs) Never went away. All right, let's take another break. And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. Lauren, you made it all the way to the end of the show. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Yeah, the time it took to take this podcast, I've actually aged out of Snapchat. So...
0: You were Sorry. on it. You were on it at the beginning. I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, tell us what is your recommendation for our listeners this week?
1: My recommendation is another podcast. Uh, I just had the chance to listen to a Decoder interview with Chris Dixon. Decoder is a Verge podcast hosted by the Verge's editor in chief, Naila Patel. Um, They taped this in early April, and so I'm a little bit behind the curve on it, but I finally had a chance to listen, and it's as good as a lot of people said it was. Chris Dixon is uh, one of the most prominent crypto and Web3 boosters out there. He's a longtime entrepreneur. Um, He started a company called Hunch a long time ago. He's got his hands and his investments in a lot of different interesting technologies. Um, I think uh, eBay and Kickstarter, and I mean, I'm I'm not doing any justice, but anyway, now he's at the very well-known venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz leading their crypto team, their crypto fund. And he very rarely, I think, grants these kinds of interviews. And Neil, I asked him a lot of really smart questions about Web3 and crypto and NFTs and the promise of the blockchain and, and um, the environmental toll of these emerging technologies, relatively new technologies. I shouldn't say emerging because they're, they're pretty much out there, but it's great. It's a really good interview. I think it helps demystify some of the the crypto world and the web and the web 3 world while uh, Neil, I think also injects the appropriate amount of skepticism into the conversation. Awesome. So have you had the chance to listen to that one yet?
0: Uh, no, I have not. It has been many a moon since I've listened to the Virgis podcast, I must say.
1: Oh, is that because they're competitors? No, not
0: at all. I do enjoy a good Neeli Convo, just like any other, <laughs> you know, red-blooded tech reporter. Um, it's just I I have gotten into this habit lately of really Checking out when I'm not like working, and not mm-hmm. listening to things that remind me of work in my weekends, and my evenings, and my mornings, and my spare time. So uh, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks, <laughs> and just like listening to the normal, you know, BS that I listen to, which is like interviews with artists and and musicians and stuff. <laughs>
1: Well, if you're into audiobooks, might I recommend the audiobook version of the Metaverse book by Matthew Ball, which is also I'm just kidding. You clearly <laughs> don't want to listen to this. I haven't read that one yet, so I'm not recommending it. I'm just making a joke. But no, I expect nothing less of you, Mike. I expect that you're like, have you heard this new, you know, about this new book from Lou Dayon? Um, or something. And I'd be like, No, tell me about this. And then
0: It's yeah. got four limbs and a head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did I say her name right? That's that's how you say it right so, yeah. on? Okay. yes um okay but what really what is your recommendation this week
0: my recommendation is fault radio which is a non-profit organization here in the bay area that broadcasts dj sets and live music sets by underground electronic music artists
1: is it called fault because it's on um, the fault
0: Yeah. 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 We we live in a uh, seismic activity zone here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So they chose that to name their their radio station. So I am specifically recommending the YouTube channel, uh, which does live streams. Each DJ set or like live set is usually around an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And it's really interesting stuff. Like they have people doing techno. Uh, drum and bass, uh, acid house, uh, weird avant garde music. It's just really, it's like it's a it's a it's a mixture of all different kinds of genres of electronic music. Artists from all around the world, not just Bay Area people, but of course like heavily uh, rostered by Bay Area people. So if you watch the YouTube streams, you can watch the video, which is just a person twiddling knobs usually and dancing a little bit, or you can just like leave it in a tab open and listen to it, which is what I do. Uh, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. They're also on SoundCloud. And you can find their streams there. Uh, they post more on the YouTube channel, which is why I'm recommending the YouTube channel. But it's a vast library of uh, really excellent electronic music. So uh, yeah, definitely check it out if you're into like the 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 dancey stuff. <laughs> I like to work. To nice. It. I like to put it nice. on while I'm working.
1: That sounds cool. I'll have to listen to it. I don't often listen to dance music while I'm working. I like more chill stuff. But it sounds like it's it's a there's a wide range of genres on this it works channel.
0: M- It works great for deadlines, let me tell you.
1: Oh, is that a hint?
0: Uh, No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Let's wrap it up. I'll get back to writing.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That is our show for this week. So thank you all for listening. Lauren, thank you for being the guest this week. It was delightful to host you.
1: Oh, Mike, thanks for being such a great host. This was really fun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We asked so many people to join us this week, and everyone was like, busy. So we're like, you know what? We're going rogue. And it was a lot of fun.
0: Yes, we'll do this more often. We should. If you have feedback about the show, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. The show is produced by Boone Ashworth. We will be back next week, again, talking about all of the latest Twitter news with a very special guest. So join us then.
1: Um I'm sorry, the cat's like pawing at me again please continue
0: uh drum and bass uh acid house uh weird
1: <laughs> weird cat mashups. <laughs> <laughs>